Hello folks, welcome back. This is the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Firstly, this podcast, my website and all of my regular newsletters focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance as I try to interpret the science and translate it into easy to understand lessons for you. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performances to the next level. Well, he's back. Dr. Phil Maffetone joins us again for an update on what he has been up to since our last call, which was pre-pandemic. I did reissue one of our calls recently to mark episode 300, but this episode and next week's are totally new. And this is part one of a two-part podcast. So this week, we do a recap on math training methods, but then start to go a lot deeper into how training intensity affects overall health and longevity. We then turn to an article called The Overfat Pandemic, which Phil wrote in 2017, and how the current world obesity crisis may have increased the risk of catching COVID. We then get on to vaccines and how to make yourself healthy so that you may not need to be vaccinated. Maybe controversial, you'll need to keep listening. So if you've been enjoying the recent podcasts about how to achieve your best human performances, then you're going to love this one. So let's get going with Dr. Phil. It's absolutely wonderful to have you back on the show, Dr. Phil Maffetone. Simon, it's really great to be here again. Thank you. It, well, it, I was going to say it feels like a lifetime has gone since our last call. Um, still our most popular podcast ever. And it was feels like we're in the world version two now because our last call took place before that great sort of interruption that we had for several years, the uh, the pandemic or the syndemic that you uh, you called it in one of your articles. So just give us a recap on what you've been doing since then. Well, I've been uh, personally affected because I sold my house right at the beginning of uh, the COVID-19 um, pandemic, uh, half of the syndemic. And that's about when the 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 housing panic also started. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 I'm still looking for a for a home. It's really been um quite a stress. Uh, I've been I've been having a good time. I've been writing music and uh, I I've just finished a book so I'm I'm keeping myself busy but going from, you know, one short-term mm-hmm. place to another uh, is is just no fun, and um, so that's that's one of the big things that has happened uh, to me personally. And then um, I've published um, three articles on COVID nineteen with uh, my colleague uh, Professor Paul Larson, mm-hmm. and uh, those were published in um, some really good scientific journals, and we got some very good responses, and you know follow-up research um that cited our research and um that was a lot of fun it was uh i think a very valuable thing and you know of course from my perspective i like talking about things that often is not discussed by the media often by the scientific community Mm -hmm. and um and so it's always different. There's always something different involved and a different perspective, a real life perspective, a personal, you know, how can we personalize this situation for our needs rather than um, follow the herd? Mm. Well, I'd like to get into that in just a moment, if if you don't mind. But um, 
if you recall that we've had we've had two podcast calls now, both of which were very popular, both of which focused mostly on your math training, which was how I first became aware of you. And um, have there been any updates? Have you had any sort of revisions to your thinking? Um, has the pandemic and um, the the importance of maintaining a healthy immune system reinforced some of the messages you put across about how people should um, how people should train in order to build fitness over the long term? I, uh, you know, it's it's a good question. I don't, I haven't changed anything from my 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 basic philosophies, my basic approach to health and fitness. Um, but I'm continually expanding my brain, so I'm thinking about health and fitness in different ways. All all the the aspects I've talked about in the past, and that's always fun. And I, you know, I had podcasts. Uh, right up until kind of when I went on the road. I did a couple on the road and it was a, a little tricky, but um, here we are again doing another one. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say it, I'm kind of getting used to this um, mm. road trip, um, uh, but I'm, I'm missing having a home, that relaxing feeling of being home. But I haven't, you know, COVID-19 offered just another topic to emphasize and and help people understand and and do the research that we did in our papers um, to see what's going on out there. Uh, often, again, different than what the media um, has has been telling people. And in this particular instance, unlike the 2009 pandemic that everybody forgets um, when you say, you remember the 2009 pandemic? They say, no, what, what was that? <laughs> um, uh, and we're on our way to forgetting COVID-19 as well, um, mm. both and and other ones as well were preventable and predictable. And um, so it's 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 taking that the the information that we're confronted with and um mm. offering it uh to people to to use for their for their benefits. My own personal take on on how math training impacted my health and particularly, and then, you know, I became a bit of a disciple for math training since, um, since, since we spoke and I uh, advocated it for a lot of the athletes and there was definite pushback at start with, because I think athletes like to train hard. They like to get out of breath and sweaty and they like to see high heart rate numbers. And they, they have this belief that, you know, if they're training hard, that must mean an equivalent leap in their fitness um, but I became much more aware from speaking with you about how oxidative stress and the continual attack on our, you know, on 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 our sort of stress, you know, stressors and adding to those daily stressors with hard training, then infected our immune system. And I became much more in tune with keeping my immune system healthy doing during COVID nineteen because I, I think I got ill twice. Both times was when I went skiing and spent time in a in a crowded bar with people that were uh, weren't very healthy um and and it, it made me realize just how how important it is for athletes to protect their health first and um think of themselves as as being human beings rather than athletes because you can only be a high performing athlete if you're a high performing human um and i know that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about today so yeah, and and, I, and I, I just the right, to, am I on the right track there with all of you, that? You are say? very, very much so. Um, I, I want to throw in an important component, which is that if you're an athlete and you focus on your health as well as your fitness, you'll also achieve your your 
human potential um, better than if you're if you're unhealthy. And of course, later in life, it's going to help you um, avoid the the, the chronic um, disabilities that many many athletes have. Um, different sports uh, in different ways, but um, uh, we're not talking about training slower. We're not really talking about training slow. We're talking about starting at your level, which for many people is a slow training, mm-hmm. but we're talking about getting faster and faster as the months go by. And what happens, and this has been uh, across the board, I've I've worked in all sports, but across the board, uh, my whole career, athletes do the same thing. They they in the beginning they say, "I can't train that slow. How could I train that slow? I, my competitors are training hard and I'm lagging." Blah blah blah. And then after a few months, sometimes a year, they say, "Hey, you know, I'm this training. It's getting really hard. I'm I'm going too fast. What what can I do?" <laughs> So it's it's sort of the nature, um, the human nature of um, being a, a modern athlete. We have to contend with a, a jungle of misinformation. Mm. Um, we have to contend with no pain, no gain, and more is better. Um, and we have to contend with the ego issue of, you know, looking at everybody else. These are my competitors. What are they doing? What are they eating? Maybe I should eat that. Um, uh, you know, I was amazed uh, way back. I don't remember who started writing about this, but when, when they did a story first on the Kenyans Mm -hmm. and the, the things they ate for breakfast. And I I was finding that people all over the world started trying to eat the same things. Mm -hmm. And it was this really disgusting processed food mush that, you know, people thought, wow, this is why the Kenyans are such great athletes, because they eat this disgusting breakfast. I'm going to eat that, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, come on, you've got to we could only be ourselves. Let's be ourselves and be the best person we can. That's really what it's all about. Mm. You, you you mentioned there about some of the things that happen to us in older age when we train too hard that that's one of the I think probably that's been one of the things that's been most at the forefront of my mind is you know I'm getting into my late 50s now and I'll be 60 soon and I'm thinking people see, keep saying to me are you still doing this stuff then you know haven't you thought about retiring it and I'm like why would I think about not riding my bike or uh, not not going for a walk or not swimming or not paddleboarding. I love doing all those things. In fact, what I want to do is find ways to make sure I can do that for longer in my life. And so, if if you know you you and I are used to helping athletes plan their programs, and we we like to find out where they're at now, point A, and then where they're going, and then what we do is reverse engineer it to say, well, what are all the things you need to do on the way to help you get to point B? Well, if I want to still be doing all those things that I just mentioned. When I'm 75, what are the things I need to do now in order to be able to do that? Well, number one is I need to get good sleep. Number two is I need to keep moving so that I'm supple and I'm agile and um, I can move well. And number three, I need to keep my heart healthy. And number four, I need to keep my brain active. And number five, I need to keep a lot of friends around me so I can go out riding with them because I don't want to be riding on my own. So that's not about training at, at training my VO2 max, although, I, you know, 
still maintaining my VO2 max is important. But so are all those other things like avoiding metabolic disease and keeping my heart healthy. And these are all things about being a healthy human, aren't they? Um, and they become far more important, I think, as you become more aware of your longevity than perhaps you do when you feel like you're indestructible at the age of 30. Yeah, um, we, you know, we're only 20 once um, and then we're 30. And then, you know, we we start seeing, you know, by the time we're 30, measurable changes in our body, in our physical body. And it's not that we can prevent them by training harder. We're not going to avoid them. We just have to adapt and do what um, is appropriate for us. And one of the things that's appropriate is endurance. Some of the some of the greatest athletes out there are, you know, these these older guys and um, they're, they're, you know, they're just they're doing what's natural rather than I, I remember even when I worked with Mark Allen um, in in the, you know, his later Kona wins, you know, at, at, at age 37, you know, the media, it was like, well, how could he do this? How could, you know, um uh what do you mean how can he do this he he trained right <laughs> age is is um uh less of an issue with endurance sports and if you train right you overcome uh your inability to sprint the last 100 meters um at the at the end of the uh, the, the, the marathon but you more than make up for it along the way and you don't have to sprint because you're so far ahead of everybody else Mm. Well, let's let's move away from math training now. You you mentioned a moment ago those um, papers that you wrote with uh, Professor Paul Larson, who's also been a regular guest on here. I should I should get the two of you on together. Oh, great! Yeah, he I I just he's so much fun to to, yeah. to podcast with and talk to. You know, we've we've never physically met, which is um, rather unusual. I I first met Paul uh, because I read a paper that he was. Uh, um, he was part of writing on fat burning and high intensity training. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to send them a, um, a, a, an email message and, um, and show them um, a chart I had. I think, I think it was a chart of Mike Pig uh, mm-hmm. in the lab and the numbers we got from him. And he was, he was burning a lot of fat at, at max heart rate. And so I did that, and and uh, I I and Paul was the the corresponding author, and um, mm-hmm. um, and I got a message back from him. I I think the same day or the next morning, um, and you know he said hi. I I've, I've been following your you know I read your book. I've been following your work. Blah blah blah. And we've been we've been friends and colleagues um, ever since. We we've done some really good papers along the way. Well, one of the papers that I think you did before the pandemic was called, uh, it was actually, it was called the overfat pandemic, wasn't it? Um, and I think one of the things I found most interesting is, you, I think, you, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that you asked a question, why are all these uh, age group triathletes that are doing 10 or 12 hours a week, you know, carrying 15 to 20% body fat? How, how you know, what is it? And of course, we you started to look at the diet. Maybe maybe you could explain a little bit to that, and I'll put a, I'll put a link to it to that article in the show notes. But I think when we when we talk about that, that'll take us on to some of the things we're going to talk about. How the COVID 
syndemic and being being proactive to um, these things rather than reactive. So I think this would be a nice opener for that next part of the discussion. Sure. I, I started measuring uh, body fat uh, in my clinic um, in the in the very beginning. It was it was not easy back then. You know, in the late seventies. I, I actually had a water weight tank, um, and uh, and that w- that's pretty effective. Some some people have a hard time with it if you're not a swimmer, or if you don't like being underwater and exhaling all your your air. Um, it's it's difficult, but it certainly got a lot easier. And I'm not talking about a DEXA scan, but I'm talking about just measuring your your waist at the level of your belly button. Um, but I, I noticed that people were getting um were, were gradually gaining not just weight but body fat. And and I noticed it in non-athletic people, but I started to see it by the by the early 80s, I started seeing it in athletes. And then I started seeing it in new athletes who came into my clinic and uh, they were complaining that, you know, they had hit a peak and they they can't progress anymore and they're only 28 years old. And and I said, well, one of the problems is uh, your your body fat content uh, from from your history, I could gather, has been increasing for a number of years. And that's just not um, making you look bad. It's not just um uh that you're carrying more weight and it's going to take a little more effort to get through a race it's associated with a metabolic problem one that affects your energy level and as people gain more weight um of course they're not burning as much fat and they're relying more on glucose for energy and that's just the reverse of what you want in in endurance sports we we are in a sport where we're, we're going long term uh, from our energy system standpoint, and, and that requires a lot of fat burning. And there, there's certain do's and don'ts in the diet and in training that can promote the increased uh, burning of fat uh, and leaving our uh, glucose alone, and in particular, leaving our glycogen stores alone, which we we will use in the la- at last bit of the race. So I'm going to try and preempt a little bit of what you said here. So um, I guess some of this is looping back to what we were talking about before about how hard you train, because you if if you train too hard, you're burning glycogen rather than fat, uh, and then you get used to that, and so you never become if you never become truly efficient at burning fat and get to the levels that you just referred to in Mike Pig. And I guess that all the all the great endurance athletes have got a really high uh, fractional utilization of fat compared to their sort of racing yep, heart rate. Yep. Um, but I guess also it's part of the westernized diet, isn't it? Is um, cereals and processed foods and sugar and and eat me quickly type things rather than perhaps some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, about lifestyle, about choosing your food, planning in advance, the social time in preparing meals, sitting down and eating real food with real people. Yeah. And all of that is no longer part of the Western lifestyle. It mm-hmm. is worldwide. And and I, I was amazed. Um, I did a study on the overfat pandemic in India, and oh, I showed yeah. that eighty point two percent of Indian adults are overfat. Wow! And that's just that's just shocking. How could that be? Well, it it happened for the same reason 
it happened here. It happened in the UK. It happened in Australia. In the US, uh, 91% of American adults are over fat. There was another paper that Paul and I did. Um, in the UK, then, you know, we're, we're talking about high 80s, same with Australia. Um, and so uh, uh, we, we, we can no longer talk about the the developed world or the Western world, because we're all we're all doing the same thing around the world. Um, all all that junk food that made people over fat uh, in the West has now made people over fat in India, China, um, Africa. Um, and of course, a lot of these areas are areas where starvation is still fairly high. Mm-hmm. It's come down in 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 places um but it, it you know we have this paradox where there are people many people starving to death and there are many people who are overfat you talk about those figures of percentages of the population that are overfat how do you define being overfat now is there a percentage you attach to it as, a, as like a body composition thing there there are percentages and in my articles and 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 books um i i list all those for men and women and different but the the easiest, most accurate way, the easiest way to do it at home, that's very very accurate. You can you can get a DEXA scan, but you've got to get a DEXA scan every what every few months. That that's crazy, and I don't recommend that. Um, so the 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 best uh, option, still very accurate, is to measure your waist at the level of the belly button, and your waist should be less than half your height. Okay. And it's that simple. If it's not, you're considered overfat. Half of height. Right. There's a challenge to all you listeners to go out and find a tape measure first. Most people don't have one of those in the house anymore. Yeah, uh, that's, go, that's, go, that's go, an old, but you have but, to go to an a- antique shop. But if you haven't got a tape measure, then a piece of uh, string or something, you can just wrap it around your, your middle and draw a line and then measure that with sure. a normal tape measure. Whatever you need to do, just don't cheat. Um, if you want to cheat, measure yourself in the morning because you're a little taller in the morning. Um, <laughs> but but that's really you know, and you and and I don't recommend you measure yourself every day because your your fat content doesn't change that quickly. But w- once a month, if you need to, that's a great thing. And I would also throw away your scale because um, you, you're you're measuring water. Uh, who cares what your water weight is? Uh, I've seen plenty of people who lose scale weight, but their body fat remains the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. Very, very common. So, um, you know, measure the things that are important. Body fat is, is you know, excess body fat um, not just has that metabolic effect for athletes that we talked about, but excess body fat is the 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 beginning of chronic disease as a trickle down effect mm. and so all of, of most of the chronic diseases cancer heart disease diabetes alzheimers um things like kidney and and gallbladder stones and um uh of course mental and um emotional conditions depression and anxiety etc mm. etc et um are, are all associated strongly with excess body fat mm. Yeah, I read a book recently. I'm not sure if, if if you've read this one, Phil. It's called Why We Eat Too Much. It's by a bariatric surgeon in the UK called Andrew Jenkinson. If you haven't read it, I, I highly recommend it. But if you have, I'd 
I'd love to have a conversation with you about what um, what you what you thought about his opinions in there because uh, I found them really interesting and um, contrary to a lot of popular stuff that's out there in terms of weight and measurement, calorie burning, etc. Yeah, I've 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 heard of the book, um, and I it's you know it's it's one of those books on my list, which is really really big now. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, there's a lot of great ideas out there, and and people need to. I mean, the more we learn, the better. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a lot of conf- you know, there's not a lot of conflicting scientific co- consensus. There's there's um, there's media confusion, there's political confusion, um, and there's a lot of hype by companies selling products. Mm-hmm. And so when people hear, and they still hear that, you know, eating fat is bad, it's going to store, you know, in your belly mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Well, how about half the carbohydrates you eat converting to fat in going into storage? Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Not only that, but the insulin it produces prevents you from burning fat that's already in storage mm. well this is something that's uh, again been on my mind i got i was diagnosed as being pre-diabetic and um i was right at the very bottom end that i won't give you the figures because i know they're different the way they measure it in the uk to the us but it was right at the bottom end i think it's more of a genetic thing because my uncle and my brother and my dad of my dad was type 2 diabetic but that was mostly to do with his poor dietary habits um, so I, I went through the uh, I went through my diet with the doctor because uh, she said, "Well, you need to come back, and we might need to take medication," which I, I point blank refused. But I went through my daily nutrition with her, and she said, and my exercise and everything else, because she said, "I think you might need to take some exercise on a regular basis." So, so I shared my training diary and my food diary with her on my lifestyle, and she said, "Oh, I don't really know what else you can do here," um, <laughs> but it did it did make me think about. Um, I think this might have been a topic of our conversation before about um, how many triathletes uh, wantonly consuming sugar because they think they can get away with it because they've they've got a reasonably low body fat. They look at themselves in the mirror and think, I'm not taking anything. But of course, they don't see how insensitive their insulin response is becoming. They don't see what's happening to their pancreatic response. They don't know what's happening to their blood sugar. And they probably don't get it tested very often until they get this big shock that, oh, you're a, you're a multiple Ironman finisher and you do all this training, but actually you're pre-diabetic now. Um, yeah. But I think that'll go back to what you, I remember you saying to me before about the consumption of foods and um, and refined sugars, you know, just because you're an athlete, it doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that was a big, um, that was a big mantra back in, in the early days of the running boom in the seventies, mm. you know, I could eat anything because I'm an athlete, I'm a runner. And, and, um, of course, you know, we knew it wasn't true back then. We still know it's not true, but yet people are listening more to the, the running magazines, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, the advertisers, um, the sponsors at the races, you know, they, they, they're, they're like, they're like, um, drug dealers, you know, you yeah. get your race packet and there's a lot of drugs in there. Wow. I could, <laughs> I could you know, eat all this sugar. I'm going to eat a lot of sugar before the race because then I'll have a lot more energy. Well, you know, that was what we thought in the, I wasn't doing this in the fifties, but that's what people were thinking in the fifties. We'll, we'll do, we'll do that. And it makes sense, right? Because we use glucose, we're, we're a glucose based um, brain and body. Well, 
we're not. We're fat-based and we use uh, glucose to um, support our our metabolism, um, uh, not as an exclusive fuel. And um, and when when we don't do that, things fall apart. We we get physically injured. Uh, we get metabolically, biochemically injured, like the metabolism issues we just talked about, and we get mental, emotional injuries mm-hmm. as well. Um, and so, you know that that is the best example of stress. We 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 accumulate all these stress stress injuries, these stressors, and we fall apart, and we may. Um, we may hurt, you know, our knee might start hurting one day. How did I get this knee problem? You know, our foot, our our plantar muscles. And then we call it something like plantar fasciitis, like that makes us feel better. Um, when nobody wants to look at the, the cause, the cause is here and it trickles down to all these secondary signs and symptoms. And we can't treat signs and t- symptoms. We have to treat the cause. And mm. uh, in many cases, um, the diet is is such a big factor. The diet is such a a factor with with training that if we don't eat well, if we eat junk food, uh, even if we tr- train properly for our needs, we're not going to benefit as much. Mm. So in that yeah. regard, the, the 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 foods we eat is 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 a priority. Plays a much higher role in the actual training. Yeah, and I yeah and. I- you know, I've I've tipped that whole thing upside down now on that pyramid a bit. It's sort of like an adapted Maslow's hierarchy of needs: sleep at the bottom, nutrition, rest, and recovery. And if you've got all those right, actually, if you put training as a sprinkling on the top, everything you probably don't need to do as much training to get the same results. Exactly, as if you, were, you could as if you, you could do yeah yeah as if you didn't have the pyramid as well sorted underneath. And yeah, I mean, you know, when we come to food choices, you know, I've, I've started coaching um people to get better sleep now which seems very strange really but again it's part of this western sort of um world thing about minimizing that so we can get more done but uh how much of our nutritional choices are because we're not sleeping in there our minds clouded and we perhaps haven't got the the willpower or the defenses not to order a takeaway and and prepare a food and it's it's much easier just to um pick up the phone um and I think I think a lot of people I speak to recognize that that when they're on top of the game and they're sleeping well and they're and they've got low stress levels, it's very easy to eat the right things. And when all those things are falling apart and they're not sleeping well and they're stressed, they go for the comfort foods. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's a vicious cycle. It's easier to get get sucked into, and partly because we think everyone else is doing it. We think. Mm you know, this is what my my competition is doing, so I'm going to do it. Or wherever we go, as an athlete, wherever you go, whatever you read, you're bombarded with with the idea of junk food is, is a necessity for sports. And um, it's it's sad that they're even allowed to do that. I mean, the tobacco industry did the, did the, the same thing for, for decades. And that's how they built their empire. And, you know, then when when the 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 laws started changing, the rules started changing, they started buying junk food companies to, you know, just to to support 
themselves as a as a business. And mm-hmm. um, although there's more cigarettes sold today than there was 20 years ago, um, uh, junk food has taken over. There's a there's an interesting thing, and I used this early on. I didn't come up with it, but uh, it it's something that I um, started saying. I don't know years and years ago, and probably in a lecture um that um junk food is the new tobacco mm, yeah yeah simple as that and and you know if you're if you're training think of that because you wouldn't you wouldn't think of having a cigarette after your your long bike ride although a surprising number of athletes do smoke tobacco <laughs> yeah i remember being a bit shocked when i was walking through transition after a race a few years ago and there was a guy coming towards me puffing away on his uh, marlboro <laughs> sort of stopped me in my tracks for a bit but i did a i i did an article on a study from copenhagen i think or it it may have been a a danish population uh of runners and they 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 didn't miss it but they missed it when because they asked about all lifestyle factors of these runners including tobacco use and i think it was 12 percent wow and it was it was any amount of tobacco, uh, but but there were people, and I, I had I had uh, athletes that I worked with um, uh, only for a short time because they clearly didn't want to give up their tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, who had I, I had a um, um, a female marathoner who was a pack a day smoker. Wow, I had a, a triathlete uh, man who who. Um, uh, you know, he would say, "Well, I, I only I only smoke uh, less than half of the cigarette." Yeah, but you're smoking a pack and a half a day, <laughs> um, so you're throwing the rest of the cigarette away. But <laughs> and I, you know, I I mean, there there's certain I draw the lines at certain places, and uh, if people can't train properly, if people can't eat reasonably well, if people don't try. I don't want to try either. Mm. And mm. so, um, you know, that's when I started dismissing um, patients to to mainly to save my energy because I was just, I was burning myself out trying to help these people who weren't willing to help themselves. There, there was a couple of things you mentioned that, that made me giggle, actually. You talked about your your early days water weight tank. It reminded me of the medieval test to see if people were uh, – well, witches or not that they used to they used to carry out. So I'm not surprised people yeah. have an aversion to being dunked in case they don't come back. Um, and the other thing sure. was this, this 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 idea about um, humans looking at each other and thinking, well, what's he eating and what they're wearing? I, I always, you know, if you ever watch racehorses in the paddock, do you, do you wonder if the racehorses go around going, I wonder what hay he's eating? He runs fast, or I wonder if he's got any of those new those new sort of um, carbon fiber running uh, running shoes that make you go 4% faster or well look at that saddle he's got I'm never going to beat him now because that's one of those new aero saddles <laughs> they just they just like running don't they and um, the same with greyhounds you just see them all chasing each other around to get the hair and then running around wagging their tails when they finish the race because they're happy you know um yeah well humans... I could tell you I could tell you for a fact that racehorses don't do that um, partly because they don't have those areas of the brains that that mm-hmm. we have, but I can tell you that the jockeys do, the trainers yeah. do, yeah. the um, the 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 doctors do. It's all cookbook therapy. It's mm. all, all 
you know, and if you if you go to a racetrack, and I I worked at Belmont and Aqueduct, so these were big tracks, mm-hmm. and they they would have these boards up, you know, with the with the the records for all the different distances over the years, and I'm looking and I'm I'm trying to talk to this trainer about how you know he needs to break out of this routine that everybody's in because it's you know and and I'm look and I said look at these all these records there haven't been any records broken in the last 12 years what's going on here well you know it's so yeah we 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 are an, an odd species and <laughs> um uh we 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 better start um making some changes soon well, let, let's talk about some of these um, articles you wrote about the the pandemic. Um, so you, uh, and this probably lo- loops back to the overfat pandemic article that we talked about. You talked about it being a syndemic and not a pandemic, and it was more more to do with the symptoms of our sort of poor living and poor nutrition that had led to this and meant that we were perhaps suffering and that how the way in which the governments and the people were responding was reactive. And if we wanted to avoid future ones, we need to be more proactive. So um, as I said, that, that our earlier conversations and I segue into that. Can you, uh, and again, I'll, I'll, I'm going to signpost all of these articles we talk about so pe- people can um, go and read them um, in their own time and dig in a bit deeper. But can you just expand on your thinking about around that, please, Bill? Sure. There, there are a number of issues. Um, uh, a couple of big ones. One is the proactive versus reactive response to not just the pandemic, but that is how um, healthcare around the world has gotten today, yeah. and it's been it's been getting that way um, for throughout my career. Um, I, I began. I opened my clinic in 1977, and I was talking about people being proactive and not waiting for an injury not waiting for a heart attack not waiting until they're um they're 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 not fitting in their clothes anymore um that's proactivity and that's that's what prevention is all about we really don't prevent um mm-hmm. things so much because we're all we're all aging and we're all going to die um so we're not going to prevent that but we can push all these things out so that we don't develop um, the problems earlier on, like many people are doing now. And we have to look at not just being proactive, but why does this happen? And and if we know why it happens, then we can be proactive rather than waiting for the heart attack, waiting for the diagnosis, waiting for the knee injury. I mean, it's it's something that we see on every level from a minor knee problem to, um, you know, even before the knee problem. Irregular gait is a really good example. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you look at the, um, the evolution of, say, an injury, mm-hmm. it begins typically, you know, barring trauma. I mean, sometimes we just, we just crash our bike um, or we're, we're on a, running on a trail and, and we, we, we twist our ankle. Um, but along the way, we start having an irregularity in our movements, mm. um, and we start having metabolic problems, as we talked about. And recognizing these is is uh, the first step in being proactive. Uh, you know, I, I'm 
not sure what it's like with the health service in, in the United States, can know a lot of its sort of insurance and private. But over here, we have the NHS, which is a fantastic institution, but it was set up you know, many years ago and the range of things that they now have to offer services for um, that, that are not covered privately, that people have free access to generally, is so much greater and the population is getting older. A lot of people of whom uh, you know, are propped up by medi- medication, which costs the NHS. But also I wonder when I, when I see folks going into hospital and thinking, well, you know, I know, I know that you're able to get this healthcare, and I know it's part of what you pay into, uh, you know, from your from your salary every month. But still, what could you have done to avoid going in there? You know, it seems like we've got to this point where we think, well, it doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll not bother looking after myself because there'll be someone to pick up the pieces afterwards. And yet, at the same time, we, you know, we've got a lot of problems in the health service. There's a lot of strikes with the nurses who are underpaid, the doctors who are underpaid. You know, and um. It's it's saddening, really, when you meet people who are working in the health service because everybody's trying their hardest. I've seen that firsthand with my dad recently, and yet they're under so much pressure. But we're all we're all up in arms about the fact the government's not doing enough to sort this problem out. And I wonder how many of us are willing to look in the mirror and start thinking, well, maybe I can do a little bit. Maybe I can make myself a little bit healthier if I can push back the time when I need to go to the to the hospital or to the doctors by a year. And if everybody could do that, that would ease the pressure. But we're all, uh, again, it's somebody else's problem, isn't it? Not ours. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and and you know, what what is the the answer? The answer is that there's there's a, a small number of companies, the pharmaceutical companies, for example, um, uh, in 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 many areas of the world, the lobbyists, you know, are 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 saying to the government, we need to do this and we need to do that. But that's because they want to make more money. Um, the the junk food companies, the cigarette companies, you know, um, they've been given a free reign, um, and um, it, it's it's it, one of the things we're lacking is that self responsibility. We should be in charge of our health, not the government, not the insurance company, not our health practitioner. We are in charge, and but it's now a vicious cycle. We're not going to do anything. Um, and we'll we'll rely on our doctor or or we'll rely on the government to take care of us when we get older and and disabled. Um, interestingly enough, and and I've thought about this my whole career, and I've done work with politicians, and I've been to Washington way too many times to admit. Mm. And I know the game that's being played, and uh, and nobody wants to change it. How can we can't afford what's going on in the U.S.? We're we're probably spending five to six trillion dollars a year oh. on healthcare. We can't afford that. Um, what's going to happen? Well, I could tell you one thing that will work. We can we can dramatically cut those costs. I mean, by seventy or eighty percent, uh, hypothetically, in one year, in one single year. Will people do that? Of course not. Maybe a few uh, people will. Well, you're waiting um, for me. To, you're waiting for me to ask you how do we do that, Phil? Aren't you? I'm going to tell you tell. right. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> we pay people to take responsibility. So if I'm the government and I say, "Hey, look, I'm going to give you a certain amount of money, not a small amount of money, but I'm going to give you a, a good amount of money," because the amount of money I spend as the government for you in healthcare is twice as high as what I'm going to give you. 
mm-hmm. over the, over time and over the population. And so that cuts your your costs immediately in half. And many problems will respond quickly. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with my two week test mm-hmm. where we have people stop eating uh, stop eating all junk food but reduce carbohydrates, and in two weeks they measure themselves before whatever that means. If you have high blood pressure, you check it. If you have um, uh, all these signs and symptoms, you write them down. And then after two weeks. Well, there are things like you could you can go from a hypertensive state to normal blood pressure in two weeks. You could bring your triglycerides down from a super high level where your doctors are very concerned to a perfectly normal level below what your doctor's is in two weeks. And on and on and on. It's amazing. And so after a year, what could we do? After a year, we could reduce our body fat dramatically dramatically. And if we do that, that trickle-down effect reduces mm-hmm. our risk for virtually all um, uh, chronic diseases, uh, injuries and physical disabilities, and infectious diseases. Mm. Because there's yeah. a clear relationship with, with body fat. I see that you've become a target for all of the lobbyists who are fighting hard for the uh, nutrition company, the nutrition, the food, big food and big pharma, Phil. You'll be, you'll be. Oh, uh, they love me. Pe- oh, they love people me. will be burning placards with Phil Maffetone's face on the supporters of Kellogg's and Nabisco and, um, and uh, Abbott and all of those other big, uh, all, big all companies. The companies. And, 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 you know, it's hard, it's hard to say junk food to people because everybody thinks junk food is different they think if 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 the label says natural it's not junk food they think if <laughs> if 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 they buy it in a health store it's not junk food yeah. they think if it's organic it can't be junk food well there's so much organic junk food it's disgusting yes i i, I met somebody who said they were going vegan and I, I said that's great i mean you know if if that's the way you want to go that's that's brilliant what did you have for dinner? What vegan McNuggets? I'm like, what? <laughs> that, 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 you just changed it from meat junk to vegan junk, but it's still junk. It's just because yeah, you put vegan junk. first. Yeah. It's still yeah. junk. It's yeah. A certified vegan, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe they should be certified vegans. Um, also, we have a, when you talk about being certified in this country, it doesn't mean board certified, it means taken to the, uh, taken away yeah. in section section for a while <laughs> yes that, same here and and you know again all over the world um i i i've traveled the, i've been so fortunate in my career to travel the world uh i've been to all the big cities i've been you know to the most wonderful places um to lecture to work with athletes to work with um uh whoever and i in the beginning i had to be really careful because I had American slang and I had a style of talking and and there were certain products, there were certain um, approaches, certain exercise routines, certain lingo that, you know, be careful, um, you know. And of course, it was always fun to be in a place like Japan where you would lecture and then you'd say something funny and nothing would happen and until the interpreter started and then all of a sudden everybody would laugh. I had that happen in London actually. First, really? one of the first times I went to London, I think it was '79, uh, I think '78 maybe. And 
I'm talking, and somebody asked a question about being vegetarian. Mm. And I said, well, I, I tried being vegetarian. And the most difficult part for me was whether I could eat animal crackers or not. And and I thought it was really funny, but nobody, <laughs> they just kind of stared at me. And then they started talking among themselves. And I'm thinking, God, are they all vegetarian? And and finally somebody said, Oh, oh, you mean you mean biscuits? <laughs> you know, then everybody laughed. <laughs> I don't know if they still call them biscuits, but those little animal biscuits that well, yeah, well, it's, inter- it's interesting. We we have this terminology debate in uh, in our household because my wife's from California, so she talks oh. about things like you talk about a fanny pack over here, and people are looking around, going, oh, oh. A "Bit strange <laughs> that one." That's a good place to stop this week. So thank you again to Phil for joining us. I really hope you enjoyed his insights, and we will hear more from Phil Maffetone next week as we conclude our conversation with part two. As usual, you can find links to some of our discussion points in the show notes. And to make sure you don't miss any one of my episodes in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click subscribe. And while you're there, and if you have time, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now in the introduction to this episode, I mentioned that we have created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth exclusive content and programs so I don't need to have any of those pesky ads on the show. And one of my goals is to ensure that every single one of our SWAT members get back much more than the price of their monthly subscription. So to that end, membership benefits include access to a growing library of training plans for a whole range of endurance events, monthly workshops exclusive to SWAT members, free access to educational workshops on topics such as nutrition, sleep, strength and more and discounts on partner products that I use myself, I believe in and for which I do not get paid to promote. If you'd like to learn more and access these member-only benefits, please visit my website, simonward.co.uk and click on the Work With Me button. If you're on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Look for Triathlon Coach or The Triathlon Coach. That's all for this week. I will see you on the next episode as we resume with Phil Mafferton.